So that brings us to our third player in this, because John Blymeyer is out here looking for someone to blame for his bad luck. And that brings him and us to Nellie Knoll, who is, it's like, that's sort of a great name. Like, it mm-hmm. seriously sounds like a fake name. Uh, but she's also known as the Marietta River Witch. Uh, so Nellie is another local witch. And I said, the theme of this story is apparently, oops, all witches. <laughs> Which has to be the episode name, right? Oops, all witches. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be. <laughs> Everyone's a witch in this story. <laughs> I'm Paige. And I'm Megan. And this is Spooky Science Sisters. Hello, you're listening to Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. We are back with another spooky true crime episode. And this episode, we're going to talk about the Hex Hollow murders. Murder. There's not more than one. If if you are like us and are not familiar with this story, get ready because it's sort of a wild one. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Before we get started on our topic for today, though, we're going to do something spooky. So Paige, did anything spooky happen to you in the last, I don't know, some amount of time, week or two weeks? <laughs> uh, no, apparently just the weight of the world is... <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's not great. (laughs) I think I've just like, (laughs) since we started this show, things have just gotten like progressively worse. (laughs) And so the spooky things happening in my life, like they're not spooky anymore. (laughs) It's just. Yeah. Nothing is spooky when everything is Exactly. Um, so uh, my notes for or something spooky was just COVID monkeypox polio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> uh, yep. That's all I got. Anything spooky happened to you? So nothing super specific other than I keep scaring myself with some fake owls that I bought. <laughs> so we have a, as you know, we have a playset for my daughter, Alice. And the birds, there's a lot of birds in the backyard, and they keep landing on it and just taking massive shits all over it. (laughs) And I was like, this is not sanitary. So I decided I would buy a couple of those, like, plastic owls that people put in barns and stuff to try and deter the birds in a, like, safe way. And I've had them out. And funnily enough, I, like, set them up on the posts on our banister for our stairs that go down to the basement uh, just to like i don't know see if it would freak steven out <laughs> at one point but now i have them sitting on the stairs on the way down to the basement but that's just like when you walk by those stairs there's just like two little sets of beady eyes now <laughs> so i keep seeing them out of the corner of my eye and scaring myself and then remembering oh those are the owls that i put there <laughs> good work <laughs> so <laughs> so they are uh, uh, effective at scaring. <laughs> Specifically, Specifically you. <laughs> myself. It's unclear if the birds will care. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing really good. Okay. But like you said, we are going to talk spooky true crime, which for these, if you'll remember, we try to pick 
true crime things that have like a spooky or paranormal angle to them, but that there's also like, I don't know, a little bit of like a real world, maybe scientific message. This one's maybe not so scientific, but I think it it definitely fits within our our purview. Yeah, it's it's definitely <laughs> a little show. bit more. I don't know. I don't even know that it's all that. Whatever. Never mind. It's not really. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say sciencey, but like definitely falls under the dangers of relying on superstition and misinformation rather than like actual reason. Yeah. Well put. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. So this is the Hex Hollow murder. This story takes place in York County, Pennsylvania, in a place they've now renamed Spring Valley County Park, but it's also known as Hex Hollow, very ominous, or uh, more benignly, Raymeyer's Hollow. Uh, and it was named for the German immigrants who settled there in the mid-1800s. So we're talking Pennsylvania Dutch today. <laughs> And this story is really centered around Nelson Raymeyer, whose body was found beaten, strangled, and burnt to death in his home there on November 30th of 1928. Not great. Not great. And I had actually heard November 28th, so it's unclear. Well, no. he It happened on the 28th, but his body was found on the 30th. Oh, okay. Because there's that day leg or day or yeah, two leg. Yeah, okay. people were like celebrating stuff. Well, it was Thanksgiving, yeah. I think, or it was like day before Thanksgiving or something. So yeah, it was like around the holidays, and I think it he lived by himself, so it took People a couple of days to. It took notice. like a day. <laughs> All right, so how about you tell us a little bit about Nelson? Because I think the the way we're going to structure this is, yeah, there's sort there's sort of three key players that we have to know, and then we'll get into what actually happened with the murder and the aftermath and various other things that have happened since. Yeah. So like she said, we're going to start with Nelson, our murder victim. And so he was a farmer and he was someone who really kept to himself. Afterwards, his family, you know, was interviewed and and frequently said that he was really just a quiet, sort of reclusive guy who kind of just wanted to be left alone. And I wanted to point out that to be fair, he did have a wife and two, I think, teenage daughters, but two kids at least. And we're going to talk about this like folk magic called powwow. And his wife was sort of annoyed by his whole powwow business situation that he had going on. So she and the kids moved out, lived in a different house, but they were still married. And overall, like, sounds like he was a really nice guy. He was always willing to help people who, you know, came over asking for it. So yeah, just... Already yeah. very sad story, but sounds like he was just generally a cool guy. He was, I said believed to be a powwower, but like, he, he was, was a powwower. Pow <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so what, you know, what is powwowing? And it was brought to colonial Pennsylvania by German-speaking immigrants from Central Europe in the 17th and 18th centuries. Powwowing was also referred to as brauka or Browkery. And it was this blending of religion, specifically Christianity, and a belief of healing. And it's primarily, or like people still practice this today. So 
Yes. I think just yeah, not just much. not as much. <laughs> it is primarily used to heal humans and livestock and it's used to protect people from spiritual harm and practitioners are often referred to as powwowers. And that name powwow was appropriated from the Algonquian language by 17th century missionaries and then later picked up by the Pennsylvania Dutch even though the context that they're using it, like in this healing sense, is, I think, different than the Native American mm-hmm. usage. And side note, as I was taking these notes, the word powwow starts to look really weird after you read it a bunch of times. Yes. <laughs> word document. It's like one of those things where, yeah, it starts to just feel like, what is happening here? Well, and then, like, and then to write, like, <laughs> or to seem like powwowing, powwower, powwow. I have to be spelling this wrong. <laughs> it gets a little overwhelming. Okay. The important thing here, though, is, as Paige mentioned, he's a private guy. Some people described him as reclusive, but Nelson was supposed to be a nice guy, and powwow is considered to be good magic. So sometimes people will call it white magic and its practitioners are called white witches. Practitioners are also called hexenmeisters, which is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) It's like if I was going to be a witch, like I would want to be called a hexenmeister. I mean, even like white witch sounds pretty baller though. Yeah, it does sound pretty amazing. So at surface level to me, this whole powwow tradition seems pretty harmless. And there are a lot of stories, obviously, of it working for people, you know, in this faith healing sense, which I guess just to like throw some sort of science skeptical interpretation in there is probably just evidence of the power of suggestion or the placebo effect. But as we mentioned, this story that we're going to talk about today is definitely an example of when these things go a little bit too far. Yeah, (laughs) yes. Just Just a little little, bit. And by a little bit, I mean like a lot too far. (laughs) So kind of moving on to our second key player here is John Blymeyer. So John is a 30-year-old at the time of the murder, which like that is also sort of mind-boggling to me. But he is a 30-year-old at the time of the murder. Why is that mind-boggling? I don't know. Because like when I read about this the first time, I thought this was going to – like Nelson's like 60-something, right? I sort of – Yeah, they're like – yeah, they're beating up on an old yes, man. Yes, like sure. he's 30 like, years on, old and he's, yeah, he just, whatever. Yeah. Anyways, so it's not great. <laughs> I hate it. John was, he was born into a family of powwowers and eventually he becomes a powwower himself. So much mm-hmm. like Nelson, he is a powwower, though not quite as harmless. So if his family was unable to heal somebody who came to them, or they weren't quite sure what to do, they would take that person to Nelson Raymeyer for help. So when young John got sick and his family, you know, couldn't quite get him the help that they needed, they made a visit to Raymeyer's home to heal him. That was, I think, one of his first real interactions with him. Yeah. And I think some sources suggested that that's really what convinced John Blymeyer to pursue this tradition of becoming a powwow. Yeah. And I've also read or maybe heard on one of the podcasts that it's also ends up sort of being the reason that Nelson gets blamed for John's life. Sure, just because there's there's that yeah, connection yeah. there. Yeah. And so 
like I said, John learns from his family and some from Ray Meyer, and eventually he himself starts powwowing. However, in 1912, his life changes and really just turns into like 20 years of really shitty luck for him. <laughs> I just want to put a little FYI in here. We have eventually started powwowing himself in the notes. <laughs> and I just want you guys to know that the autocorrect for the phrase powwowing himself uh, wants to change it to pooping himself. <laughs> Which I really felt like I needed to share in case anyone was wondering where my maturity level is at <laughs> today. <laughs> cracking up about that earlier. <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> All right. It's bad luck. Let's go. So as I mentioned, yeah, 20 years of bad luck. And this sort of starts off with him falling ill again. Yes. And like we had mentioned during his childhood, he was sick. Like it's the same. It's the same illness that returns. Yeah. And I guess it, it sort of sounds like just like a general malnutrition thing or some sort of deficient like vitamin deficiency because his symptoms are kind of nebulous. Like he just loses a bunch of weight and kind of seems sickly. So that's the best. Yeah. I <laughs> So yeah, he becomes ill. He then loses his first two children. So his son, he loses after five weeks. And then a second child who is born prematurely passes away after only a few days. He goes on to lose his job. His wife ends up leaving him. It's all very sad. Yeah. Basically, he's like a walking sad country song by the end of this <laughs> bad luck period. So... I think a lot of people would like he believes like something horrible has happened, right? Like he's been cursed. Somebody has hexed him. That's what he starts to believe. Yeah. John takes all of this and he obviously is coming in with this background of believing in powwow and believing in these white witches and, you know, this growing up around this and thinks he must be cursed. And in all fairness, you know that I went through a series of terrible events, just like one after the other in the end of 2016 and early 2017, mm -hmm. that, I mean, it made me feel like I was cursed, like the universe right. was against me. And I, like, I, this is not a false story. Like, I remember saying out loud to Stephen at one point, being like, what is next? Like, one of us is going to get diagnosed with cancer. And like, within... A few weeks of that, your mom got her cancer diagnosis. <laughs> it was like just such a bizarre thing. So, yeah. So long story short, it's just like these strings of bad luck happen and like you're getting kicked when you're already down. And I can attest like it can make you feel a little bit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and like there's like something else or something bigger going on because like mental health is a bitch sometimes. Yeah, I mean, totally fair. I <laughs> did put a note in here, too, that, like, <laughs> kind of on the other side of that, like, I'm convinced that I am unintentionally cursing people because <laughs> of all the bad stuff that happens to people around me. <laughs> yeah, so ultimately, like, what I'm hearing, though, is that I can blame you for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't yet. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you guys, though, I'm telling you, like, every other week, Paige will be like, oh, I was in this training course, and, like, the instructor had a stroke, or I was, I don't know, somebody collapsed and, like, had a stroke or had a heart attack or something. And it's like, what are you doing to people? <laughs> I can't go out anymore. I'm hurting too many people. (laughs) I think I'm testing my luck hanging out with you. (laughs) It really was like a series of like, it was like six months, like three different times I had like there was somebody within like six feet of me in a public space just like dropped and had a stroke. I know. And then you text me, you'd be like, you won't believe what just happened. And it's like, I will believe it because (laughs) it always happens. All right. So poor John. So he's gone through a tough time. And like I said, you know, I can attest that I'm sure that he was feeling very upset and like something else must be going on. So at one point, I guess he actually starts blaming his wife for hexing him because that's like apparently a common theme in some of these stories. Like, of course, just blame the wife. Right. But (laughs) she ends up having him committed to a psychiatric hospital for a brief time. But he ends up escaping and decides to continue his search for the person who hexed him. And I think that event is sort of what precipitated his divorce with his wife that we mentioned earlier. Because... Yeah. And some of those other stories were like men or like where people were blaming the wife. Uh-huh. Like the wife would then get killed apparently for like being a witch or whatever. So... Yeah, there were definitely, I do remember that being mentioned, uh, that some of those, yeah, ended in murders because, yeah, the man blamed his So I would probably, like, panic and try to, like, not be in this <laughs> Right, I'm getting <laughs> out of this situation. So, anyway, I guess kudos to his wife for having the wherewithal to <laughs> get the fuck out. Okay, so that brings us to our third player in this, because... John Blymeyer is out here looking for someone to blame for his bad luck. And that brings him and us to Nellie Knoll, who is it's like, that's sort of a great name. Like, it mm-hmm. seriously sounds like a fake name. Uh, but she's also known as the Marietta River Witch. Uh, so Nellie is another local witch. And I said the theme of this story is apparently Oops All Witches. <laughs> Which has to be the episode name, right? Oops All Witches. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be. <laughs> Everyone's a witch in this story. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> so Nellie is the person that Blymeyer eventually goes to in order to find out who hexed him. And to figure this out, Nellie has John stare at George Washington's face on a dollar bill laying in his hand and tells him that when she removes the dollar bill, he will then see the face of the person who cursed him in the palm of his hand. And when she does this, John believes that he sees the face of Nelson Raymeyer, which it's got to be like some optical illusion effect. Like, I actually believe that John saw something, and I bet that it was some sort of like optical illusion effect similar to Troxler's fading, which you can learn more about or you might remember from our Bloody Mary episode. Yeah, and I sort of agree. Like, I believe that he saw something. I do think yeah. it's important to mention at this point. I know that it wasn't clear in some of the sources. It, this is one of those stories where, like, 
a lot of the source material like gave you like slightly different variations of each like yes yeah of each like section of this story or each like segment of what was going on but Mm -hmm. um i believe that like at this point he is like already sort of believing that it's nelson raymeyer like before he even gets there and like this happens he already has some sort of suspicion that like he could be the hexer okay yeah, well, and I definitely read a few sources that mentioned Nellie's role in this, like being malicious in ending up suggesting that this is Nelson Raymeyer who has hexed John. So I'm not clear, like, it's possible that she played like a little bit more of an active role yeah. in suggesting this to him. I don't know. But like, that's pretty shitty. Like, and it also, you know, if that's the case, made me wonder well, you know, is there any history between her and Nelson Raymeyer in terms of, like, some sort of conflict or something that they had? Because I know they're both practitioners of this powwow. And, like, presumably some of this was, like, a business enterprise. Like, people were paying them to help them. I don't know. So it's like, if that's the case, I wonder what she's like, oh, I can take out my competitor. Like, this is great. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> anyway (laughs) although i guess to be fair she doesn't tell she does not tell blymeyer to kill him what nelly suggests is that in order to break this curse blymeyer either has to obtain a lock of raymeyer's hair and bury it six feet underground some sources specify six to eight feet and they say that it has to be buried behind the barn So some specific instructions here. And then his other option, and some sources say, and he has to do this. Some sources say, or he has to do this. But his other option is to burn Ray Meyer's copy of a book called The Long Lost Friend. And The Long Lost Friend is a folk magic book by John George Homan and released in 1820 that was commonly used by powwowers. And fun fact... One of the cures for both hysteria and the common cold in the book is apparently to run your finger in between all of your toes after you take your socks off each night and smell it. Which, in my mind, if I was a farmer in the 19th and early 20th centuries without indoor plumbing, and I've like just come in from a long day of work in the fields... (laughs) <laughs> I am pretty sure that, like, the smell of my toe cheese, like, that's going to clear your sinuses out. <laughs> toe cheese. So I legitimately think that, like, it might work a little bit. <laughs> I even read the notes first. It still got me. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? <laughs> toe cheese. <laughs> <laughs> something in there is going to smell bad enough to be semi-medicinal at some point. <laughs> yep. They're not wrong. I, I firmly mean, believe this. Here's what we need to do. A, we need to try the dollar bill thing yeah, and see if we see a face in the palm of our hand. And I think we should do it in like dim light, like candlelight or something. B, next time either of us gets cold. <laughs> We need to try (laughs) 
the toe jam <laughs> cure. Do you, if you get the cold, do you want me to bring over my toe cheese? Or use my <laughs> no, I want it to be my own toes. <laughs> I think it's I think it's your own toes. I don't know what happens if it's someone else's toe. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> what we are about to talk about, though, is not very funny. So I should probably. It's about to go downhill. We're not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Okay. So now that we've introduced you to all of our characters, our key players here, We're going to start talking about the actual night of the murder. So what happened and and how did it happen? Um, So to start, John and one accomplice, who is a 14-year-old John Curry and like, he's 14 years old, (sighs) go to Nelson's house on the night of November 26th. But they end up chickening out and deciding they need additional help. That's one of those details that changes as well, because... In some tellings of it, it sounds like, you know, they go and they're they're checking things out, but like they decide they ultimately decide they need more backup. Other sources sort of make it sound like this was like sort of the recon mission to make their plan. So it's unclear. But like either way, this was like a premeditated thing. Right. And so they go and they get get some help from a third accomplice, 18-year-old Wilbert Hess, and they decide it's time to make their move. Uh, and this is another one of those things where it sort of depends like what you're reading or where you're reading. Mm-hmm. But supposedly at some point, they stop at Nelson's wife's house and ask where they should go to find him, which like maybe this isn't the smartest move if you're trying to get away with committing a crime. <laughs> Just a thought. Yeah. I mean, to be fair... They are initially going in there to steal from him. <laughs> to steal from him. Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a crime, but like they're not sure. going in there to. The plan was not to murder him. Like this gets out of hand. But yeah, like ultimately his wife remembering that they dropped by to be like, oh, hey, where's Nelson? <laughs> Is uh, not great right. <laughs> for them. But like we don't care because fuck yeah. those guys. <laughs> So they do make eventually make it to the house. And like Megan mentioned, like their intention is just to get in and get out with the book and or lock of hair. It's not to go in and, and hurt anybody. Well, understandably, Nelson is not happy about this. And so he fights back <laughs> as one would if your neighbors bust into your house trying to steal a lock of your hair or one of your most prized possessions. Right. I'm just sitting there like reading about this and it's like, how did you guys think that this was going to go? Well, so this is another one of those things that it's that sort of changes based off where you're reading from, because I had read from one source that like when they get there, Nelson isn't there. And so like they go in and he's not even there yet. Oh, no, I think that's the first night that they stop by. 
So the first night they stop by, he's not there and they like wait for him to get back to his house. And then it's like really late at night. So they hang out for a little while and then they end up sleeping there. And then it's the next night when they come back, he is there. But like, why then? Like, why wouldn't you just do it when they weren't home? Like, they're used to going to like stomp in and say, like, give me your book. And he's going to be like, okay, here you go. I don't know. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. If he wasn't there, why not break into his house? Yeah. And just and do take it. his book. I don't know. It's all it's unless, all a little weird. Unless that's <laughs> proof of the and. Like, they needed the lock of hair. Yeah, that's true. And the book. Because... People just leave, leave those laying around there. the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just cut off little pieces of my hair and leave it around. Don't worry about that. So, yeah, Nelson starts fighting back as one, as you would expect somebody to do. And right. apparently, like, Nelson's, like, a pretty big guy. And I don't remember exactly mm-hmm. how tall, but I remember reading or hearing that he was pretty tall and, like, pretty built. Yeah. Like, apparently a pretty swole for a 60-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, unfortunately, they, I mean, he is 60 years old. So the three of them are able to, to really take him down. They end up beating and strangling Nelson to death, stealing some money they find, which I've read was like their way of trying to make it look more like it was just a robbery. And then they douse him in kerosene and set the house on fire. And yeah. So I think their plan is like, (laughs) just make it look like a robbery. And if that doesn't work, burn it all down and destroy the evidence. Get rid of the evidence. (laughs) But the house doesn't actually burn to the ground, as you might expect. It's actually still standing today. And I we do have some photos that we can post in the show notes if you want to take a look at the house. It looks pretty pretty nice. It looks pretty honest. Surprisingly. Yeah. Like like if I if that was like for sale as like a cabin, like rustic cabin or if that was an Airbnb. Yeah, I'd stay there. (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, I'll stay there. Honestly if they turn it into an Airbnb now, I'd stay there. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Can you see where his like legs burned through part of the floor? Yes. That's okay, though. <laughs> yeah, that's we fine. We put a rug over that. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's still standing. And so the murderers obviously see this as evidence that Nelson was a powerful witch. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, he was so powerful, like, his house couldn't even burn down. So in the Supernatural podcast episode that I listened to about this, she, meaning Ashley Flowers, says that Blymeyer and his accomplices said that they even saw Nelson get up and walk around the house during the fire. So, again, more evidence that he's, like, some supernatural, super powerful being. But it's like, well, if he was walking around, why didn't he, like, walk out of the house? Right. (laughs) They also, like, apparently stayed at some point that they knew he was dead before setting him on fire, though. So, like... Yeah. So... Who knows? We don't know. We don't know about this walking around the house thing. There's a lot of retellings of this story and a lot of little details that seem to shift depending on what source you're looking at. Yeah. You said that there was some research on his body fluids putting out the fire. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it was official research. So, yeah. So, the murderers and maybe some others think it's sort of weird that the fire didn't really move much beyond where his body was. Like, part of the kitchen sort of gets burned up, but... It doesn't burn up the entire house. So, again, they take that as evidence of, like, something, you know, supernatural going on. I did read in one source that there had been, you know, some someone had looked into, like, basically that, like, his own body fluids, like, might have 
help to like put the fire out faster. But I don't know. I know there's also like weird stuff about people who have like died because of like smoking incidents and stuff like that. Like sometimes like just like their body and the chair they're sleeping in or whatever burns up because of just like the nature of how like human body fat and stuff burns really quick, but doesn't necessarily spread. I don't know. I had sort of just assumed that like whatever bit of kerosene they had used just sort of like burned off really fast and then the fire just sort of died out on its own. But like there is like pretty significant amount of charring on the like a small section of the wood floors. It might have been like the big flames burned out quickly. And then he sort of just like smoldered for a while. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what I assumed happened. Yeah. Um, And I like tried to find something about like bodily fluids putting out fires. And basically all I could find was people saying that like there's just not enough water content in your body to like do that. But these were like when I say people saying, I'm talking like people claiming to be scientists on like Reddit. So (laughs) I didn't really find much. (laughs) I don't even remember where I heard or read this. So (laughs) we don't know. That's all right. It was still fun to like think about, I guess. (laughs) Look up. Someone somewhere. Uh, Somebody (laughs) had some evidence that this was this was not an unusual thing that happened. And I did want to make a comment that while I was trying to find something out about this, I somehow came across the Raymeyer Wood Floor Store. Oh, is it in Pennsylvania? Yes, it's like same area, and I imagine it's opened by his. It was opened by like some relation to him, and I just thought it was like sort of an odd choice. Yeah, I mean the floor didn't murder him. He just <laughs> I know, on the floor. but, like, but <laughs> I will. Well, we'll talk about the house later, and specifically why I thought it was sort of an odd choice. Okay, so as we have already talked a little bit about, uh, these dum dums, you know, went and visited this guy's wife before <laughs> committing this crime. So, and you know, they did not do a good job of burning the evidence or covering up the evidence completely. So it doesn't take long for them to get caught for this crime. And Blymeyer and his accomplices, though, like they come out of this feeling like they are the heroes of this story. <laughs> and Blymeyer claims that the curse lifted immediately. And it's like, okay, sure. <laughs> um, but <laughs> as you can guess, this is happening in 1928, not like 16, whatever. So the justice system has different ideas about this, these events. So what we end up with is what is called the York Witch Trial. And the prosecutors in this case tried to really downplay the witchcraft and black magic aspects of it. But as you'd expect, it like became a huge media frenzy. And journalists are framing it as the first U.S. witch trial since Salem, even though that's like not really what's going on. But... <laughs> But it becomes a huge, you know, national or maybe even international sensation. So John Blymeyer and John Curry, which are the two sort of original people involved in this, are sentenced to life in prison. Wilbert Hess, who is their like add-on accomplice, receives a 10-year sentence. Both Blymeyer and Curry end up being released on parole before their sentences are up though. And Curry like goes on to like become some sort of like painter and like cartographer yeah. for 
Eisenhower, like during the war effort, it's a whole thing. So, I mean, I guess like he's 14 when this murder happens and like is getting looped in by this 30 year old man. So in some ways, I guess good for him for turning his life around. (laughs) Yeah. And I actually, I don't know that I really remember or like know how these two were involved with John Blymeyer. They worked together at the cigar factory. I forgot that you could like work at a factory when you were like 12 at that point. Yeah. Or, I mean, now apparently you can at the Hyundai factory. (laughs) Oh, God. Again, I say, what year is it? (laughs) Here we are, almost 100 years later, and Hyundai straight up hiring child laborers in their car factory. Okay, anyway, side note aside... (laughs) So as I mentioned before, I mean, ultimately, this is a tragedy. It's very upsetting for Nelson Raymeyer, who, I mean, all of my impressions are, yeah, that he was like this respected figure in the community, might have been a little bit reclusive, but was a nice guy and was like trying to help people with this like white magic or good magic that he was doing or sort of like folk medicine, powwow stuff. So... I think this just ends up being a warning against blindly trusting religion and superstition over science and reason. So once again, welcome to one of the main themes of our entire show. (laughs) This is what it always comes back to. Always. (laughs) But it's also very much like a fuck around and find out kind of story. (laughs) Like we mentioned, the house is still standing it is now maintained by one of Nelson Raymeyer's descendants. And I think it's like sort of a museum, although it was a little unclear, like as to whether or not it's fully open to the public or what the deal is with it. But like he's like preserved like parts of the floor that you can see that still have the burn marks and blood stains on them and like various things about Nelson's life and powwow. So it's kind of a cool thing. I know that I had read that it was definitely open for like tours back in like 2013. I think I saw something like 2016 even, but I haven't really seen anything since. But okay, at some point they were doing like Halloween events there where they would oh, do fun. tours and hay rides. And yeah, I don't know. It sounds I would go. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. But like you said, said, if you don't want to do it as a museum, open that shit up as an Airbnb. (laughs) We'll stay there. I'm ready. (laughs) So, of course, people say that it is now, you know, as with any place where something like this has happened, people now say that it is a haunted house and that it's haunted by Nelson or some combination of other things. We don't know. I did learn about something called legend tripping from Wikipedia, from the Wikipedia page for this, because it said that the house is a common spot for legend trippers. And I was like, what the heck is that? Apparently, it is an official term for what teenagers do to like test their bravery by like going to like a haunted or spooky Spot. So what Wikipedia says is legend tripping is a name bestowed by folklorists and anthropologists on an adolescent practice 
containing elements of a rite of passage in which a usually furtive nocturnal pilgrimage is made to a site which is alleged to have been the scene of some tragic, horrific, and possibly supernatural event or haunting, which I love. (laughs) I was like, we all did that shit. Right. That's exactly (laughs) what I did for fun in high school. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's getting late and it's raining. Let's go somewhere spooky and see if we get scared. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we all did. But like, that's what I still do. But I just like that it has an official name yeah so i was very excited that this helped me to learn about that (laughs) (laughs) yeah i didn't know i had a name either so now we know there you go (laughs) so as for like any stories of like haunt like haunted house stories that have come out i didn't really dig too much into like any individual story because honestly it seems like there's probably enough out there that we can make a whole second episode about this so i didn't want to talk about it forever but i did (laughs) (laughs) just specifically about like the haunting like i didn't really want to talk about Uh that forever but it does seem... Everyone listening is probably like, please do talk about it forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, not this episode <laughs> specifically. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I did at least think that we... I would mention a couple of like the creepy or paranormal reports that have come out from the property uh-huh. and make mention that it apparently is even still said to just have like bad grounds. Uh-huh. Yeah, so some of the things that have been reported there, like UFO sightings, there's been sightings of a spectral black dog with red eyes. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Um, Shadowy figures, which like, that's like every haunted house. Um, That's like Uh my own house. Uh, (laughs) And then some apparently say that if you throw rocks at the house, the house will throw them back at you. Oh, although to be fair, the house is, I'm going to debunk this one. (laughs) The house is like definitely on a hill. So are people just like exaggerating that the rock just like rolled back? Or like also like how hard are we throwing this rock? Is it just bouncing off the house? We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. Anyway, (laughs) like I said, I mean, we're not, I'm not going to dig into any of these, but like clearly if nothing else, this house still has even today some sort of reputation for being spooky i want to go i'm ready yeah let's do it someday we're gonna do the ultimate spooky road trip yeah but eventually we like first we have to make it to salem because we've been talking about it for like ever jesus christ (laughs) this was supposed to be our year 2020 was supposed to be our year gosh well true 2020 was supposed to and then (laughs) okay we're not gonna talk about that right now or we're gonna lose it Uh, so Uh, do you have anything else you want to add, Megan? I don't think so. Other than I thought that this was a fun topic. Yeah, I did too. To cover. So good suggestion. Woohoo! I did it. <laughs> okay, well, that wraps up our episode on the Hex Hollow murder. Tune in for episode 49 on Lab Disasters when we talk about explosions. Explosions! <laughs> If you liked this episode, hit subscribe and share with a friend. You can find us on TikTok at Spooky Science, Twitter and Instagram at Spooky SciPod, Facebook at Spooky Science Sisters, and at our website, SpookySciencesisters.com. If you have any questions about previous topics or ideas for future episodes, email us at SpookySciencesisters at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening and stay spooky. Spooky Science Sisters is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. 
For more information or to check out other shows, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. I'm Eliza, and I need you to listen to me. Have you ever felt so much that you don't know where to put it all? And you wonder if anyone would notice if you screamed? Because you want to. Scream for the ones they've hurt, the ones they've taken. Scream for yourself. These are my words, my story from my perspective. Because I know you'll hear other versions. Because I want you to have a chance to believe mine. Or at least hear it. If you're getting this, it's already over. But if one of you listens, really listens, it won't be for nothing. <laughs>